The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 27. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Father Andrew Kinsetter, a.k.a. Father Fett. And you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. And so today we are discussing the first two episodes of Star Wars The Mandalorian. So if you haven't seen the first two episodes, I'd recommend you stop listening to us, go watch the episodes and come back and join us. So joining me today on our panel is, uh, first up, we have Mike Creevy. Hello there, Mike. Hey, Father. How you doing? I'm doing pretty awesome. Um, next, we have Andrew Hermes. Hi there, Andrew. Hey, Father. Glad to be here. Awesome. Third, we have Thomas Sanjurjo. Nicely done with the name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have Angela Cialana. Yes, you got it right. Hello there. <laughs> to be honest with you, I listened to our previous uh, podcast to make sure that <laughs> I was getting those names right. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so today we are discussing the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. And so first off, this is just something super exciting. It's something Star Wars hasn't ever done before, a live action TV show. So it's always fun to just kind of get first impressions. Was it what you expected? Was it not? I know for me, when I first watched it, I I sort of, I loved the the gritty feel of it. It definitely had kind of a, an original trilogy feel, um, with the the props and and all of the, the the look. Um, it also was quite a bit smaller in scale than I think I was initially expecting. Uh, especially with John Favreau kind of leading it, I sort of just equate him with, the Marvel grand you know sort of uh movie layouts but this was very small scale which is also a really cool thing to do uh within the star wars universe so i'm i'm interested to hear your guys's um angela what were you kind of thinking uh in terms of first impressions i honestly did not know what to expect i didn't want to give myself these you know i, I didn't want to have any expectations really going in but i was expecting some kind of quality because I know Dave Filoni does amazing work and of course John Favreau and everybody else. So um, my first impression was uh, I love that they showed and they didn't tell, you know, um, there was, yes, that was that feeling of Star Wars that I fell in love with and I loved that we got the force from the very first episode. Awesome. Yeah. Thomas, what about you? Uh, in the middle of watching the very first show, I turned around and looked at my wife and I said, this is Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have been very disappointed in the last two movies to come out. And so this was like, this really hit that feeling exactly right for me. And uh, I, and I can't tell you what it is. Like, I can't, 
I couldn't write down in a script what you have to do to meet that standard for me. But this definitely uh, touched that right nerve or that right tone for me. Awesome. Yeah, I I agree with you. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, um, it, it circumvented a lot of expectations that I thought I had about the show. Um, I think it started out um, uh, immediately, like like you guys are saying, it fe- it feels like Star Wars. It's it's like we're uh, from the first scene. It's like we're back in the world. I mean, it's a, a you know a fight inside of a bar. You know, <laughs> it's it's all it's all all too familiar um, territory. Um, and again, uh, I, I love the greediness, the the whole Western type vibe of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as we see in, in 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 the reveal at the end, I know we're gonna get into more um, with the the child as episode mm-hmm. two is titled uh with baby yoda um it it turns into something that i i didn't think we were going to get into it's i'm glad that they throughout all the marketing they were able to hide that um i think that was key um and and instead of like you know when you think the mandalorian you know they're they're like they're warriors they're 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 meant for for battle and um but now it's turning into like a a lion and cub sort of you know story um and uh, it's interesting to see where it's going to go, um, but but I love it so far. Yeah, I, I think that relationship between Baby Yoda, as we're all calling him, <laughs> and the Mandalorian, I think, is going to be an awesome uh, story to see play out. Mike, what about you? I, yeah, I mean, I agree with what what everybody said pretty much so far, you know. And I've I've haven't had a whole lot of chance to watch as much sort of behind the scenes well there's not a whole lot of that but you know some of the panels and interviews and stuff but i've seen a few of them i know that angela sent a link to one and then there was a another one i think after the first episode came out that had a lot of really neat insight in it but uh you know they were saying in that and i was thinking the same thing that really just the aesthetic of it you know i really feel like every frame of this show is something you could print you know it's mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's just artistically very beautiful um and you know and again, you know, you have that fight. There's the first scene. There's action right off the the get go. But there's also kind of like a, I don't know. There's, there's like a better pace. I feel to it. There's a better, almost like meandering kind of like you're you're just sort of like tagging along, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just kept feeling myself sort of drawn into the the story, which I think for me at least always feels like a, a you know sign of just good storytelling. You know, if it's something I'm not, I don't feel like I'm watching it. I feel like I'm in it. You know, right. and that, that however they do that. That's 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 takes me back to my childhood too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked uh, Angela what you said about the fact that this is a it's it's showing us, not telling us. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, were paying attention or not, and we'll get into this uh, as we jump into the second episode. But for the whole like at least the first ten minutes or so of the second episode, there was not a word spoken, and so mm-hmm. we're just sort of just along for the ride. Um, and even the Mandalorian himself doesn't talk a whole lot, mm-hmm. which. I think is is really cool. I I it it adds sort of a I want to know this character more, but I you got to I mean it's sort of a metaphor almost. You got to get to get through his armor. Like he's got yeah. the walls up and I kind of like that that image and that look, but uh he obviously we see in that the very first scene which kind of lays out the whole where this is going at least in the the first episode of that he's getting the, the the bounty on that ice planet with he captures Mithril and, and has this fight in the cantina and he um, kind of brutally murders, uh, you know, one of the <laughs> one of the characters in that in that bar, mm-hmm. you know, and and so we see that side of him. But then 
when he encounters again jumping ahead a little bit uh the the baby the baby yoda mm-hmm. there's there's a sense of compassion there that okay you know what is what is this guy all about so you know i i'm really excited to kind of see that story play out i i love to kind of get into the human nature and and kind of how that yeah. plays out and to see it's really it's really interesting there too like not only is he silent but there's no visual connection with the character because it's mm-hmm. a faceplate right. that's there. Right. And, yep. and that's like on top of just not having many words, there's no emotion to read either. Yeah. That takes tremendous uh, just acting talent, I think, mm-hmm. you know, to, to the body. It's all it's all body language. <laughs> yeah. I found it quite funny uh, when he captures Mithril and brings him onto the ship that Mithril, I think, sort of might be analogous to us that he's uncomfortable with the silence <laughs> and he starts yeah. to like over explain yeah. everything it was like a really bad uber ride i just hope that i don't find i hope i don't find carbonite slabs in the trunk of my uber yes <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did you guys catch the did you catch the holiday special reference? Oh, yes. oh yes. Yeah, the uh I just I couldn't believe oh, that it. Was like, yeah, the life day. I was, I was like, like what? I, was, I was like John Favreau just made life day like canonical. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. pretty pretty awesome. Although there, I was like well, kind of confused. That was that's, that's a Wookiee holiday, right? Yeah, well, so, it seems it seems to have been bigger than that, and it's also like, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's where Boba Fett was introduced. So I think that's where yeah. you know we're coming back to talking about some of right. like this, yeah. you know, the the uh, the the strangeness of Star Wars because Boba Fett has all of like two lines in um, mm-hmm. Empire Strikes yeah. Back, you know, but he instantly became everyone's absolute favorite character, mm-hmm. and it was because, and the only reason he was in Empire Strikes Back was because he appeared in that uh, Christmas special, and then they, he was so well-liked that they kind of threw him into a to a real role, and then from there developed into all this other stuff. Um, there was actually, I mean, of course, there was the Life Day reference, but there's also just his rifle Yeah, is also very <laughs> iconic of the holiday special. And, and it's so much cooler than I thought it was going to be, by the way. <laughs> Yes. Well, and he uses it to take out that that creature that's uh, attacking their ship as he's trying to leave the that that ice planet. So yeah, I might have to go back and watch that cartoon ver- part of the holiday special, <laughs> not the whole thing. It's pretty difficult to get through. So yeah, so so we have the Mandalorian. He captures Mithril. He immediately uh, freezes him in carbonite in this like portable carbonite freezing chamber, which I didn't even know was a thing i sort of expected this massive you know uh bespin sort of contraption for that and takes him back to wherever the 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 bounty hunter guild is hanging out i don't actually know what planet that is and drops off all the bounties and that's where we meet uh grief karga who is essentially the the leader of the bounty hunter guild and this was sort of an interesting uh play between the two of them i i it adds a bit of context to the to the setting that he offers him imperial credits for uh for the payment and the mandalorian doesn't want that because the empire's dead so the we we know that this is obviously post return of the jedi the empire is if not dead it's it's pretty it's it's heading that way i don't know if it quite is by that point and so we meet him and we we see him hand off calamari flan which oh was my gosh, kind of that fun. was so distracting for me because oh I was like, of course, if you're like a Star Wars fan, you're like, okay, I know what the calamari, the Mon Calamari are, right? But then 
flan. He's like the calamari flan. And I'm just like, you know, I have a Mexican background and flan (laughs) is like a Mexican dessert. So I was like, these are two foods and they're currency in Star Wars. It was so distracting for me. I, I like the I like the Western element. So this is this is one thing I, I want to like the the two things that make really good Star Wars for me apparently are going back to Japanese uh, storytelling and the gritty spaghetti Western stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have you have here the uh, the gritty spaghetti Western stuff, right? The the post uh, post Union, the Union is is uh, the the ruler now. The Confederacy's out. Confederacy credits are no good anymore. And that's that's kind of the feel you get from this thing where he's going back and this guy's trying to offer him Confederacy mm-hmm. credits after doing a job. And he's like, I'm not going to take those. Those aren't worth anything anymore. And 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 then as we go through further, you guys had already kind of mentioned this concept of like the the, the child following him around. Well, there's a, a whole series of manga called uh, Lone Wolf and Cub mm-hmm. that is all about an assassin that has a baby that he carry or a young child, a toddler that he carries around with him everywhere. And I'm like looking at these two, and I'm like, yes, this is this is exactly how uh, <laughs> the first one was formulated from, you know, the the hidden fortress and uh, that whole like Akira Kurosawa uh, way of telling a story. I, I actually, it's funny you should mention that because I I just had a note here. I saw on um, just one of the the um, you know kind of reviews. They said that you know Pedro Pascal, who who plays the Mandalorian, they said that what he did for most like basically all of his prep. For, for preparing for the role was to uh, was to just watch you know the old samurai films the old Kurosawa films and Clint Eastwood movies. There he go. said that he said that as he's getting ready for it, he said every, uh, the quote was he said anytime I had a question or a physical doubt about a moment, I was always like, what would Clint do? How would he shrug it off? How would Clint walk away from this? <laughs> there you so go. I was like, that's good. <laughs> I, I I like to know that that was formative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell right away from the first episode, uh, Dave Filoni's, um, you know, so he directed the first episode. You can tell, like, this is his first live action, you know, piece of work. Um, but the pacing is very much like Rebels. It's very much like an animated, mm. you know, show, t- television show. Um, it it kind of, uh, we, we, we jump from scene to scene. There's not a lot of uh, dialogue. It's, it's... Uh, uh, n- not not too much exposition, you know. Everything just kind of unfolds. Um, it's easy to take in, um, and uh, even a lot of you know the cinematography. A lot of the the shots were, you know, like I said, it, it felt like, you know, wow, okay, this is really Dave Filoni directing this. And then, and then as we go into the second episode, um, Rick Famuia, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, directed that one. He's a he he directed a film called Dope, and and he comes from more of a film background, um, and you can tell it was much more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we said, no dialogue for the first ten minutes. You know, not, not too many animated shows. You know, do that, um, but he was able to pull it off, and and I think um, as we go along uh, and we see all the different directors that are going to put their hand in, I, I think you could tell John Favreau just kind of let them you know, play with the material, uh, and put their, their stamp on it. And so, and so far, I think, um, because the episodes are a lot shorter than I thought they would be mm-hmm. so far. Uh, I, I think it, it just allows every director the freedom to, to kind of just tell it how they want. Um, uh, it, it very much feels like a show where, you know, they just went out there and had fun, um, and, and were able to, you know, just stre- stretch their, you know, directing mus- muscles and, and kind of show off a little bit. Um, and I, th- I think it's obvious there that, you know, Favreau and, and company didn't put any restraints on them. 
um, because there are a lot of differences between how one and two um, uh, are told uh, creatively. Um, so um, be interesting to see what happens going forward. I liked one of the reviews that uh, Mike, I think you sent out was uh, it made the reference that this is sort of like it's like a sandbox of all these <laughs> random Star Wars things all put together. And so it's it's like the the yeah, the directors kind of get get their own little their own little 30 minutes to just kind of play and do what they want. And and it's really fun to to kind of watch that unfold and to see see where Dave and, and uh, John Favreau's vision of it ends up going. So we uh, come at this point more or less to meet uh, the client. I think that's kind of how he's referenced. Uh, we don't really know who he is, but he has some connection to the Empire or at least some connection to, to stormtroopers who are obedient to him. And Dr. Pershing, they both have this bounty that they're offering uh, very discreet. There's not a, what is it? There's no puck which is usually that that device that would have the information on the bounty that they want acquired. There's no puck, but there is a a location, a tracking fob, and they tell him that the bounty that they want them to procure is 50 years old. And Dr. Pershing um, wants the bounty alive, although uh, the client says that proof of death can can work for this. Yeah, which is very interesting, I thought, where, you know, obviously this... The client, who's a former imperial, you know, just adding that 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 line there, where it's like, yeah, but you know, if if you do kill him, you know, if there's proof of death, that's okay too. Which it's very interesting because knowing you know what we know about Yoda, the actual Yoda that we we know, and how how powerful he is, and 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 uh, and whatever his species you know ends up being, um, we're gonna find out in the show um whatever they reveal to us um it's very interesting it's it's uh, the fact that he doesn't mind if if the baby died it kind of tells you like well is this something that they fear is it something that you know they uh they want to eradicate or is it something they want to learn from um because obviously you know the the whole goal of the empire was to eradicate the jedi and and this creature being jedi sensitive um, is that their end goal is just to find every one of these creatures and get rid of them? Or is there something more to it? So I, I felt like, um, that was an interesting, uh, uh interesting addition to that, that storyline. Yeah, when you see the difference between the two of them too, you see that, that the scientist wants it alive, maybe to be able to study it, but then the imperialist wants it, it doesn't care. It's like, I, I understand where you're coming from. You, you know, you might want to study this thing, but you know, if it dies, that's okay too. That's that's yeah. really the end goal here, right? Yeah, and it was interesting too. The fifty year fifty years old comment, at least from a from a watching uh, audience perspective, that's that's an obvious misdirect. And of course, I had mm -hmm. no idea, you know, when the reveal happened that oh, it's actually a baby, and not only a baby, but a, a baby a baby Yoda. You know, so that was that was fun to be surprised at the end of the episode as he tracked to that little that little pod that had the that had the baby i kind of guessed in that moment what it was but it wasn't up until then that i had any idea what uh who the bounty actually was yeah. well there's two two things that, that uh really jumped out at me it was just first of all like that whole scene with the client like when he walks in you see who's in there first of all you know warner herzog is just like terrifying for whatever reason he's just oh, really creepy perfect uh, for the role. I mean, yeah totally got that like 
escaped Nazi aesthetic. You know what I mean? Like they're not even hiding it. And yeah. he's sitting there and he has a huge imperial medallion on, you know, it's like he might as well be wearing a swastika. You know, like they really go yeah. for that. Like here's this guy who's not gonna he's not gonna roll over. And I, I remembered years ago when they were uh, releasing The Force Awakens, there was, you know, in some of the discussion about the plot without giving too much away. I remember reading somewhere that J.J. Abrams had sort of said that when they were developing the plot for that and, and the First Order, you know, the, the basic mentality was like, what if the Nazis had, you know, some of them, yeah. enough of them had escaped World War II, and many did, um, and then sort of regrouped, you know, and kind of started it all over again. So, like, I think that jumped out of me when I saw that scene because it really, we don't know exactly how the First Order shows up, you know, or a few decades mm -hmm. before their ascendancy to their full power, but it's kind of like, it's making you think, or at least making me think like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, where's this headed? Um, yeah. And then somebody online, I, I don't know about this, but somebody was like freaking out because they said that the emblem on the doctor's shoulders, the same as the cloners from like Camino. Oh. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> so, so then, of no, course, we have to go back and watch this. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, no, no. Like, wait, is, is it is it Yoda? Is it a clone of you? I'm like, I don't know. We'll just just watch next week. Maybe we'll find some more. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm like salivating, but we'll see. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's it's interesting too to like think maybe this is a splinter cell of the of the Empire mm -hmm. that doesn't become the New Order, but that carries yeah. on the tradition of the Empire because these are these are stormtroopers in the traditional sense of stormtroopers and having seen the new order uh troops it's it's very jarring to go back and see now the stormtroopers still yeah. in play and i don't know if any of you have read the the novels aftermath yeah. no, no. Yeah. Aftermath. and i and i'm blanking on character names but but that does uh talk about some of those uh the uh admiral one of the admirals she is you know still continuing to to do her best to keep the empire alive post return of the jedi so right. this could have some connection to those uh stories as well um i'm not entirely sure yet what that would look like but um the novels as canon as well can play into these but um what's also interesting though is that the the client has beskar arm or a uh, little a uh, block of of beskar steel or whatever metal alloy you want to you want to call it and he offers that as as payment to the mandalorian and it obviously has significant in um impact on on him and it's sort of referenced uh that it the beskar actually belongs to the mandalorians as a culture as a as a people um and so that was that was interesting i noticed that the the beskar had a little imperial logo logo stamped into it as well so there was a certain amount of satisfaction in the next scene when he goes to the place where all the other Mandalorians are and the, the blacksmith melts it down and then makes a, a shoulder patch and gives that to the Mandalorian. That was my favorite. I think that was one of or my favorite scenes of the, the first episode um, because we are seeing the Mandalorian culture really fleshed out in almost a religious way mm -hmm. and there's even a reference in the second episode to yep. you know mandalorian religion um mm -hmm. and you know that whole concept of walking you know first of all going underground and then walking down this corridor that leads to like an altar type of situation with like a priestess you know who's wearing that fur cape or whatever it is my and wife loves that <laughs> yeah. And so then it's like it's like a ritual that you, you get that sense. I don't know if you guys got that sense that maybe oh, he had done that before where he goes, 
he presents the best guard. They look, well, they look at each other, right? They kind of like look at each yeah. other, acknowledge each other. And then he presents the best guard. And it's like this almost holy exchange or like yeah. I'm offering a sacrifice or something. Well, and, and she asked the question about his, about whether he's gotten, what was it that she says, a totem or a... Um, has your signet uh, been has revealed? Has your signet been revealed, yeah. Mm. And, and that's, that to me, that was such a cool moment where there's like, and, and he says no. And, and that, that added so much more just to, for him to say no and then her to respond, well, it will be in time. You know, like there, there is this deep sense of ritual to what they're doing. And it's not just... It's not just forging armor. It's so much more than that. And that that scene is where we get that, I think, connection, personal connection to him, because we get that flashback from his childhood, right, at that point. Mm -hmm. And we see that, you know, he's, he makes reference to being a foundling. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm wondering if he was Mandalorian to begin with, because it seemed to me in that flashback like, he and his family were in like a village that was under attack and his family was fleeing, but they obviously hid him. And I thought to myself, well, if they were Mandalorian people, I don't think they would just kind of be ambushed and then be running away from danger. It seems like Mandalorian people would be, you know, prepared. They would have their armor. They would have their gear. They'd be fighting, fighting back. And uh, just the clothing that they were wearing, it seemed to be, you know, not something that we've seen before, I think, with the Mandalorians. So um, my kind of theory with this is that, you know, he was uh, he was a foundling. Somehow the, the people who are starting up, I guess, strengthening the Mandalorian people up again, found him, adopted him, raised him as a Mandalorian. And uh, it seems to me like that being his background, then that makes him finding a child so much more mm -hmm. important, mm -hmm. significant for him as a as a character. So mm -hmm. I yeah. love that we see that. And uh, that, again, it has that religious overtone, too. Yeah, that's that's me sitting here wondering what the RCIA process for uh, Mandalorian uh, looks like, you know? <laughs> and 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 it's and it becomes really interesting when you think about like what does a kid have to go through to gain entrance into a cult like that that is based around strength, honor, and uh, the glory of battle. And yes, he's a foundling, but surely they put him through a really difficult trial to mm -hmm. gain the yeah. armor and then for him to bring back a piece of that culture to them uh in this that it's a huge moment for him that you know i think as we learn more about this character we're going to find out that the significance of this first episode is much bigger than even we think uh at this point they kind of, they kind of feel like space romans don't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of yeah or, or like spartans actually might be even better there you go yeah that's, it's yeah that's kind of cool <laughs> well and i wonder if we're going to see him eventually complete his armor and mm -hmm. you know finish it the other uh random thing about that that i noticed is that his helmet is all one color it's not painted it's mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. basically that that silver color and when you look at boba fett and jango fett they they have colors marking them and distinguishing them so i'm i have no idea if that means anything or if that's just something that that caught my eye uh but maybe maybe adding sort of uh distinguishing marks to his helmet is part of this whole process as well so it is there that uh he then 
goes to the the planet uh, where the bounty is is to be found. According to to StarWars.com, um, I kind of looked at that. It's it's called Arvala Seven. So he lands on this planet and hilariously is attacked by a blurg, which is just <laughs> a fun fun name to say anyway. And I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but the jump scare of that felt very very much like the Tuscan Raider jump scare with mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> we meet the Ugnaught. Uh, his name is Kuil. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, but he is the one who saves the Mandalorian from the assault of the Blurg. And I have spoken. We have, yes. yeah. <laughs> the iconic line, it seems, of, of these episodes is I have spoken. And, and I love that it's Nick Nolte. So awesome. Right. And so I, awesome. I hadn't caught yeah. that. Everything. I was like, I know that voice. And I, I'm looking it up. I'm like, you, you kidding me? Like, you gotta <laughs> right. Yeah, I saw the name in the credits and I was like, yeah. oh, so okay, great. there you go. <laughs> but he's just such and, an, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I had forgotten. They looked familiar. I had to look it up. And they, they were the little, you know, the, the dudes in the uh, sort of junk room in Bespin. Mm-hmm. You know, so, that, so that's cool yeah. like, to bring another one of these races we've seen before, these species we've seen, that, but not in a long time, you know. Yep. Um, and yeah, they were used. Oh, sorry. I was going to say they were they were used a lot in uh, Rebels and Clone Wars, the oh, animated yeah, yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that we meet this Ugnot and he tells him that he has to to use one of the Blurg to get to the, the encampment where uh, the bounty is to be found. And I found that that whole scene just absolutely hilarious where he has to try to tame the Blurg. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know. It was very, it was very Western. It was very like, yeah. and, and yep. it goes back to that Clint Eastwood thing, you know, where he's got to tame the horse and he, and he's <laughs> falling off. And I really, I like the, the, the way this, this character that's such a, you know, such an amazing, awesome figure is kind of being just <laughs> tossed around the whole time as he's going through this stuff. And it, it really makes him feel like some, someone we can relate to more than, mm-hmm. mo- more than Boba Fett yeah. ever was. And even Django Fett too, like more, we, we can really connect with him better. Well, and he even at one point wants to just like quit, and and uh, Kuil tells him your ancestors rode the the Mythosaur, and prompts him to get back on the horse, so to speak, and try again. And the the whole scene even just reminded me of a of a mechanical horse. If you've ever seen one of those sorts of devices to learn how to to ride. Uh, that it was just, yeah, it was comical, absolutely comical, but apparently necessary. I still am not <laughs> sure why it was necessary to ride the Blurg and not just get a speeder bike, but, but it's that leads him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Uh, so that leads him then to the encampment where the, the fob is saying that the, the bounty is found. And immediately as he's scoping it out, we see, uh, an IG battle droid, a bounty droid rather. And it took me at, after the first showing to realize that that is not IG-88. Right. If, if you were. <laughs> yeah. He seemed he seemed a bit too flighty for <laughs> IG-88, but still pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, IG-11, I believe. Self-destruct. Right. right. <laughs> the moment with the self-destruct. That was, so that, was, that was classic. That was awesome. Taka Watiti. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's IG-11. Um, and the Mandalorian teams up with him, even though he wants to self-destruct because apparently that's bounty hunter guild protocol that he not be captured. <laughs> and so his, his skill with a blaster was, was really cool to see. I really liked that scene. A lot. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. 
Um, and so then, of course, they wipe out all the all the mercenaries who are hanging out there, and they knock out the the door with the the giant Gatling bat blaster was awesome. gun. Yeah, <laughs> which this is back to Magnificent Seven. So we're going back to like the uh, you know the classic uh, 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 the tropes for the spaghetti westerns and stuff, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they they encounter the the pod with Baby Yoda, but. What was interesting is when IG-88 or IG-11 and the Mandalorian both look at it, IG-11 was under the impression that he had to kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian shoots him rather than let him kill the baby and he takes possession of Baby Yoda. Well, that makes me wonder who else is after this baby yeah. too because it didn't sound like they had the same person hiring right. him. It's an interesting also, question because they were both part of the bounty hunter guild, though. But this was an off-the-record, like there's right. no puck, right? Right. And so, so one of two things was true: either the client gave the puck to this IG Eleven to go mm-hmm. and take care of it, or and and then when the Mandalorian came in and said, "Oh, this is a better option right here. Why don't we just hedge our bets and get both of them to go do it?" Right? Or there's somebody else that's after this thing that is mm-hmm. actually wanting to kill it. And we know many have tried before. And mm-hmm. yeah, right. ended up not yeah, making it. Not the only one making out. Yeah, and not to get too far ahead, but yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll get there in a second. But in within episode two, then you know we we see there's even more people after the baby right. too, yeah. which I, I didn't catch yeah. that in the first watch through. Yeah, I just want to add something about um the character of the Mandalorian that um mm-hmm. he doesn't like droids, and uh I thought perhaps that might be because of his childhood experience. Like maybe he grew up during the Clone Wars, perhaps, and mm. his family was attacked by droids. Possibly, yeah. yeah he clearly, clearly has a beef with droids because, yeah, he asked for a vehicle with no droids, and uh, yeah, and yeah, and he was very uh, fearful of the uh, the IG Eleven at first. Um, Do you guys remember? I forget what it was called, but um, you know the big, not the like the standard battle droids, but like the slightly bigger ones, kind of like the. The red eyes and kind of the flat hand. Oh. I can't remember what they're called. And they oh, kind of yeah. hold their arm out and shoot. Somebody, and I just saw a freeze frame of it. It's hard to see, but in one of the trailers <clears throat> for The Mandalorian, you see some of them in the background. Mm. Um, oh, so, you know, there's a question, you know, are they still out there or is that a flashback? So that might, yeah, that might be part of it too. Yeah. Hmm. Um, any other final thoughts on the first episode before we jump into episode number two? I like the scene at the end where there's a moment where he puts out his finger and, <laughs> his, and it's like this very like, you know, Sistine Chapel moment oh, of yeah. him reaching out to the baby and the baby reaching up to meet his finger. That was a great moment. It also sort of felt like E.T. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, one thought that I had was uh, when he was he was told, oh, your ancestors rode the great Mythosaur, right? It seemed almost like totally change his perspective like Mm -hmm. he he seemed almost like spiritual even towards the blurg and i just found that so fascinating like you know he he was like gentle with it and he just his mindset and his 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 attitude everything seemed to change in him once he was told that particular line and given the fact that he is a foundling and perhaps was kind of adopted into this Mandalorian culture, that, you know, your ancestors line just 
it's so fascinating to me. It just makes me think like, wow, this being a Mandalorian must really mean a lot to him. And it must really go very deep to that spiritual level. So I just wanted to add that to you that I hope that they continue to, you know, reveal more about that, that part of his personality. Well, and it's fun that you, you mentioned that because I mean, uh, we could kind of use the same analogy for being Catholic, that being Catholic is not tied to, you know, a bloodline or anything, but it, but it is who we are and it should be very instrumental in, in how we act and why we act. Um, and so obviously for the Mandalorian, his Mandalorian culture is very much his religion and his identity and who he is and why he's acting the way that he is. I think we'll see that challenge though. We'll see how he relates with this baby or not. So, okay, well then we'll jump into uh, episode two, um, which is interesting that episode two has a title. It's called The Child. Episode one didn't have any title at all. Obviously that doesn't give us much to go on other than it's a reference to, to, to the baby Yoda. And it starts out with some more bounty hunters trying to capture baby Yoda. Uh, there's a couple Trandoshans who are attacking him, which is the same uh, species as Bosk. And then we have an inkling of baby Yoda's potential force powers because uh, the Mandalorian is wounded in that battle. And baby Yoda keeps jumping out of his out of his pod to try to help. And my immediate thought when I saw that was he's trying to use the force to help him. Because that's what it looked like he was doing, was reaching out his right. hand. Not just a concern, but a, a an attempt to, to use the Force. And he's like straining, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> well, and it makes you wonder, like, what a 50-year-old toddler is capable of. You know, like, you've had 50 years. Surely you can do more than more than just waddle around quite so much and uh, and so you know like watching him get out of the out of the pod and walk around uh, i i think there's there's that natural tendency of us to look at things with big eyes and big heads that are too large for their bodies as 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 babies but this thing's 50 years old like it's <laughs> you know there's got to be a little bit of a survival instinct going on yeah there. <laughs> it's not entirely helpless in other words yeah yeah but gosh is he so darn adorable or she <laughs> oh, i don't man. actually know <laughs> And he seems to be able to feed himself, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the frog. <laughs> that frog was as big as he was. I was like, I where did it go? <laughs> I just love the whole, like, spit that out. You know, it's just like. Uh, but like any like, yeah, toddler, I, he, like, looks yeah. right back at him and, like, swallows right. it. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to yep. listen to you. Uh, yeah. So the Mandalorian then goes, tries to go back to his ship to, to to head off world and we have an encounter with the Jawas who are scavenging his ship, which was a very interesting uh, move there. I, there, there's a lot of tattooing sort of echoes here. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jawas, the sand crawler, um, even just the, the nature of the, the whole uh, world seems to be fairly desert and rocky. Um, but the Jawas are scavenging his ship. He, uh, the Mandalorian is not at all uh, merciful in trying to shoot some of them to stop them. And then we have this fantastic scene of him boarding the Sandcrawler and trying to get aboard to get his parts back. Very Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly what like I was riding thinking. On, uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> riding that tank and the rocks approaching and that last second, you know, 
mm-hmm. twist at the end. Yeah. That and the Return of the Jedi too, where they're they're uh, crawling up the side of the of Jawa's uh, sand barge. barge. You know, yeah. it's like that. Yeah. Just mash those two things together, and there we go. We got a great scene. <laughs> but it was super surprising too, because you don't expect the Mandalorian to fail. Right. And right. He climbs yeah. up, and he is fighting his whole way up, and there's Jawas coming out of the 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 side yep. hatches and everything. And he gets up to the top, and there's just a bunch of them that just electrocute him and knock him off. <laughs> <laughs> and I I almost felt bad for the Mandalorian, but on the flip side, it's like, well, he was trying to kill some of them. So, yes. <laughs> and these are red-eyed Jawas, right? And then the Jawas that we've seen before are yellow-eyed. Oh, I hadn't even I'm, thought about that. Yeah, yeah so maybe they're... there's different Jawa species or... or um, their cloaks that's, are a That, that kind of gave me... That's what, that's what kind of gave me the hint that um, we weren't on Tatooine, because I know there mm-hmm. were... Some rumors that it might have been Tatooine, and then I know you mentioned, I think earlier that you read somewhere that it might be some other planet. But yeah, I, I, I definitely hope it's not Tatooine because you know I'd like to see Star Wars kind of expand and, yeah. and not keep the keep the Star Wars universe so so small. And um, I, I think we're already getting so many connections to the Star Wars lore that we don't need to bring everything back to Tatooine. According to StarWars.com, a reliable source, it's Arvala 7. There you go. So, I, And I saw on Wikipedia earlier, it was funny that this came up, because uh, what is it again, Arvana or Arvala? Arvala. 7? Yep. Arvala 7, because I was, looking, I was looking up Jawas, and it says in their description, it says that they're, uh, they're native to Tatooine and, conveniently enough, Arvala 7. <laughs> <laughs> so that might, have, that might have just been changed like a week ago, but, you know, yeah, there you go. They live yeah. other places, too. Oh, I could see them being total space rats, you know, just like hiding yeah, out in yeah. the hull of a ship and landing somewhere else and going, ah, we'll set up shop here. Right. Because they, they couldn't be native to really both of them. They, they kind of have to have right. a common origin at some mm-hmm. point, so... Right. I would be on Jakku if I were them. There's lots of stuff there. <laughs> lots yeah. of good stuff right? there, exactly. Uh, yeah, so after that uh, horrendous defeat by the Jawas, he goes back to his ship, finds it completely scavenged and, and worthless, and he decides to go to his one friend on the whole planet, and it's uh, Kuil, the Ognaught. Yep. I love that he's incapable mechanically. That, <laughs> that to me, is, is a nice <laughs> yeah. touch. You know, like, like you, you see so many of these characters seem to be Ace pilots, great fighters, and they can fix anything. And it's like, this guy, no, he's like, I don't know how to fix a ship. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? This is a hunk of junk now. <laughs> well, and that speaks to the Ugnaughts, just their their culture or whatever. When they're on Bespin, they were they were obviously the mechanics of the, mm, right. of the Cloud City. So the fact that Kuil knows exactly how to fix this ship didn't come as a complete surprise to me once uh, he gets all his parts back. But it's also fun to, to note that, that Kuil is completely generous he just he wants to help the mandalorian get his ship parts back he doesn't want anything from it all he wanted was peace brought to his world so the mandalorian offers him all sorts of rewards for his help and offers him first mate even but he turns it down so they go to the jawas the agnat uh kuil being the the mediator between them and that was another fun scene of uh them requiring the mandalorian to put down all his guns before he approached them and they try to come to an agreement in order to get uh his parts back and they decide to settle on an egg <laughs> which was just weird <laughs> and the jawas are way too excited about it for it to be good 
Well, know, and you know, for the Mandalorian, <laughs> right? I was expecting like they wanted the egg in order to tame the the beast and and raise it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then nope, that's uh, not. <laughs> that was not the goal. But it fits. It so much fits with the Jawas, with Star Wars. You know that just mm-hmm. unexpected offbeat. Uh, I went through all of this for that. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it fits them. So the so whole the- thing. Oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. The whole thing was, uh, to me, very Star Wars because in past, um, especially in um, the Clone Wars, George Lucas and Dave Filoni really explore the theme of like other cultures and nonviolent approach to conflict resolution. Um, and to me, that was expressed in this little scene where he's uh, the Mandalorian is made to abandon everything that to him is important and that he values and he has to meet the other people on their own terms. So mm-hmm. that's something that he's not used to. But to me, that was very, very Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Right. And you'll notice that the the weapons that they use are non-lethal weapons too. The Jawas, the, right. yeah. the cannons that they use are ion cannons and it knocks him out, but it doesn't kill him. And they definitely had him at a moment right there where they could have. And he already and killed a bunch of and them. And he already killed some of them. <laughs> so. And Kawil also tells him, like, the Jawas don't destroy, they steal. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So, right. yeah, that was a really yeah. important uh, note about their culture, too. Yeah. I love when they're pulling up and he's just like, they really don't like you. <laughs> 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 well, I may have disintegrated some of them. <laughs> but they're willing to work with him. Yeah. yeah good Great. for that. <laughs> Man, that gun is awesome. It really is. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so they they take they take the Mandalorian and Quill to the the lair of this of this beast that they want the egg from. It's apparently called a mudhorn, and uh, I it was funny to note that the Mandalorian when he was riding in the the sandcrawler is quite a bit too tall, so he actually is hitting his head on the ceiling of the the cockpit of the sandcrawler. <laughs> but he gets to this lair and he approaches the mudhorn and. Gets completely trashed by the mud horn. Didn't you guys love that? It was so well to have it like from baby Yoda's perspective first, where you just see the cave and like blaster, blaster, blaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. It just comes flying. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That that something about that was very Han like to me. Mm-hmm. Like, just a little like the clumsiness of it, you know, the like I got myself into something <laughs> that I didn't anticipate. Runs into a, a room of stormtroopers and fires yeah. and runs away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then and then in the end, in the end of it, like all of his technology doesn't save him. Like right. all of the weapons he has does doesn't end up doing him any right. good because this thing it's is just yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's nature versus this this man that's full of all the technology and and war information of his race, mm. and he can't beat it. And then we have the reveal of Baby Yoda's <sighs> powers. Yeah. Or at least part of his powers. Mm-hmm. He stops the, the Mudhorn with the Force, raises him off the ground, and then the Mandalorian actually kills it with his, with his uh, knife. And his I'm tiny little knife. Sap. I'm such a huge sap, as, as I, I guess just as a dad of a little girl or whatever. I don't know. It's just like, and the little guy just gets all tuckered out. And passes <laughs> out you know, oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> that was so adorable. <laughs> and then he, he sleeps through the entire uh, rebuilding of the, the ship. Doesn't wake up at all. Yeah. So yeah, so he uses the force, saves the Mandalorian, 
Uh, again, that sort of is already speaking to the relationship between Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian that obviously Baby Yoda cares for the Mandalorian as his caregiver. And I think that'll endear the Mandalorian even more to, to Baby Yoda. And we'll see where that, that relationship goes. They go back to the ship, put it back together. Uh, Quill helps with all the, the mechanical parts of it. And, and again, that was where that we had this whole exchange between him and the Mandalorian about offering for payment. And I was just, I kept being struck by the, by Quill's generosity. And at one point he says, mm. you are my guest. I am in your service. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, a great line that that speaks very much of uh, Benedictine hospitality, right. you know, yeah. of, of yeah. being hospitable and, and uh, giving of your all to your guests. So that was that was pretty cool. To me, it just spoke of uh, Middle Eastern hospitality. Um, mm-hmm. Having been to the Middle East, <clears throat> it's a lot of part of my job, too. Um so, yeah, I mean, that whole, I think for him, uh, the, the Ugnaught culture is sort of like, we don't really know too much about it, but we just know that they're handy and that they are, they've been slaves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, he talks about how he's, he's worked his whole life to get out of servitude mm-hmm. and yet like he is so generous in serving others. So right. that really said a lot. Can we go back to the egg? Yeah. Because because I really love the scene of the Jawas just just eating the egg. Yeah. yeah, Like uh, I thought they were like, oh, they're probably like, like we said earlier, they're either going to tame the beast, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, let it hatch and and tame the beast or they were just going to smash it. But or they're going to they, sell it. I thought they were going to sell it. I thought they were just going to like, you know, take it off in a thing and then something that they're going to sell. But nope. <laughs> that <yeah>. wasn't it. <laughs> well, it was I thought great. it was a nice touch too. that like, this you know not not to rip on any other series, but my my uh, my wife is a big Harry Potter fan, and they, they I got her like the big like the the um, the book of like the Fantastic Beasts, and it's like this you know you go through and all, but so many of them are just like I don't know who actually did the artwork, but they're just like normal like regular earthly animals with like an extra feather or something like it just doesn't seem too creative. So I thought like here's this thing that looks basically like a giant rhino. Like, but not really. And then they, they give it an egg and it's a furry egg. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's like, that's different. You know, furry <laughs> like, egg. Yeah. yeah, furry egg. That's Star Wars. You know, like, I don't know. It's just another one of those little details. I, I think that like when, when you come back up to the end scene, it's really interesting to see this, this character that's so much of a loner. And now he's starting to reach out and he's offering a, a, a position on his ship to this Agnot that he's, I mean, essentially just Matt, really, but he's starting to open up in, in mm-hmm. some, some interesting ways that I really, I'm looking forward to seeing that develop more. Yeah, I think that's one of my biggest excitements for, for, the, for the character is to see that develop. Yeah, he's going to kind of essentially build his armor, but, but let down his inner armor, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's pretty much the end of the episode. Uh, they blast off in the space and um, assumingly they're heading back to deliver the bounty, but we won't know until this week. Uh, and little, little baby Yoda wakes up. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so what do you guys, do you guys have any kind of general observations uh, that you'd like to share uh, over both episodes or uh, even the second episode? Can I, can I just say something real quick about sure. the music? Oh yes. Um, hmm. 
because I, that's a whole other can of worms. But I, the only thing I wanted to say about it was like the main theme, and it really hit me in a particular moment, the, the two moments that struck out from the first episode. And of course, now those are, I'm just kind of going deeper into the themes and stuff. But when he first is, it's silent, you know, when he's out in the, the snow. And even like Rogue One, you know, it's, this has some similarities with that kind of feel. But like Rogue One, it didn't give us a scroll, but it still started us in space. You know, and then we kind of come down. But this was cool where it's just like, bam, you're with him. He's right there, you know. And then it's silent and you don't even notice that there's no music until like when the door opens up and he's standing there and that weird like recorder thing's playing. Mm -hmm. And I saw an interview with Ludwig Gorenson who did the music and he said that, uh, you know, it was such a tall order to do this. And he said the first thing he did was he ordered a box of recorders because he thought to himself, what's the least Star Wars sounding instrument I can think of? And that's what <laughs> came to mind. So he sits around playing around with it, just like, okay, what can I do with this? And that's how he developed that really cool tribal kind of recorder yeah. thing that's going through it, which really works. And then the other song during the end credits, that's like the main Mandalorian theme. I don't know about you guys, but it's totally like Temple of Doom and the Ewok theme, mm -hmm. like kind yeah. of combined, you know, like it's, mm. so it's some of that Indiana Jones element to it too, which is cool and a good hat tip to John Williams, you know? Yeah. Well, and it feels, it feels decidedly small screen. Yeah. Without feeling like it's lost anything Star Warsy. Right. Which I like, you know, it's not it's not this huge fanfare that's like really big and about like the main arc story, but it still really feels like you're in that same mm -hmm. uh, long ago and far away mm -hmm. place. Yeah. In fact, I mean, the story arcs so far have been fairly simplistic, uh, you mm -hmm. know, go get the bounty and then recover his ship parts. That's that's kind of the essential <laughs> parts of yeah. of both episodes. And yet, yeah, it still has this grand feel to it without it being over the top yeah that's the one thing um like as much as uh, you know i like that aspect of the show um the whole feel of it i feel like um this if i had like one sort of like knock on the show so far it's not really a knock maybe just observation so far is that i think the story needs to be you know pushed a little further in the upcoming episodes because uh, at least in my opinion, you know, the second episode, as much as I loved it, I even thought it was better than the first one. I think if we have more episodes like that and for it just being, what is it, eight, eight episodes for season mm -hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we just have more episodes like that, it might feel like we're, it might feel like there's not much story. You know, it's more mm -hmm. like day in the life, you know, of the, right, right. you know, the Mandalorian and, and Baby Yoda. Um, you know, the, the show reminds me a lot of like you know, uh, like a, like a RPG, um, you know, it's like a hero's encounter, you know, just on this journey and then right. just encountering, you know, this person in that, in that situation. Um, so I just, I think it, 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 like if, if those episodes like came out all at once, it's more, if it was like a more bingey type of show where you could watch mm. all the episodes, I think it would work. Um, mm. staying, staying with that mm. sort of course, but I feel like, and like I, like I said earlier, I think with the different directors uh, coming on, I think every episode is going to have its own sort of feel. And and I hope that we're, we're getting more story and we can dive in more into this world and uh, without keeping it so uh, without keeping it too simplistic, because there's so much so many possibilities now. Like there's another Yoda with force powers and, uh, you know, the we have a Mandalorian, you know, trying to. Uh, encountering something that's that's totally beyond his uh, his understanding and his culture. Uh, hopefully, it's uh, something that that expands a lot more in the upcoming episodes. I, I like that it's giving us uh, 
questions about the things that already exist too, because you know this this was my big question, and this was uh, you know we talked a little about a little bit about this before uh, the show, but uh, what kind of Mandalorian was Jango Fett? Because <laughs> we find out throughout this series that a Mandalorian never takes off their helmet, that their weapons are you know to to put their weapons aside is a disgrace to their religion. And yet, when we see Jango Fett in, 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 on the clone uh, on the clone city, he has no weapons. He has no armor. He's completely exposed to everything. And then, then all the clones, same thing. And the clones seem to kind of follow that rule throughout the Clone Wars too, that they always keep their their mm-hmm. helmets on. But then you have the characters like Rex and uh, some of the other clones that end up taking their helmets off and becoming more named figures as they become more known by the Jedi. Uh, so it re- it's really kind of interesting to look at this character as, you know, Jango Fett is a fallen away Mandalorian. Like he was a Mandalorian, perhaps, and then lost his way. And that's how he ended up mm. at Kamino, cloning himself and, and maybe, making this whole army. Well, maybe that's why Prime Minister Almec says, oh, Jango Fett was just a common bounty hunter. He was never mm. a Mandalorian. Mm. He stole that armor. I don't know. He uh, said yeah. like how he how he happened upon that armor. I have no idea, or something like that. Mm-hmm. My uh, question going forward is: baby, is Baby Yoda related to Yoda? It's a good question. Very good. Question. Or is <laughs> or is the inherent force ability unique to that species? And the only other one of them we've ever seen, as far as I know, in the films, is Yaddle. I don't even yep. know if they name her. You mm-hmm. just see her off in the distance right. in Jedi Council, but all the uh, expanded universe stuff. You know, they there were other. Like I think there was at least one other one, but it's like they're deliberately mysterious, you know. Mm-hmm. So kudos to John Favreau for opening that one up. <laughs> well, and so unexpected. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, my kids, my kids are great because my kids. First off, they they like they caught the fact that it's fifty years old, but it's Yoda. So they they knew you know oh well Yoda was really old. And then you know a couple of them are like, well maybe now we'll find out what the name of Yoda's species is because they're going to mm-hmm. have to reference that at some point in this series, right? Good job, Dad. <laughs> and my my mind Reason was blown learns. because somebody pointed out that this is said. I think they said it's five years after Return of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. means that if Baby Yoda's fifty, he and Anakin were born at around the same time. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. I read that too. Yeah. So yeah, so now there's questions over like, is there some something going on with that? You know, is he like someone? Someone compared it. They said, is this like a Neville Longbottom and another Harry Potter reference? Is like the like the backup chosen one or something? Like you know, who another Virgins in the Force, right? Mm-hmm. 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 All good yeah, questions. I think, I, yeah, yeah. I think um, again, talking about this, the Star Wars universe is expanding. The fact that there's another creature um, like Yoda out there. That could be impacting a whole nother part of the universe, you know, just it just tells you like how, you know, the possibilities are just endless because the fact that I mean, I mean, obviously we're going to see where his story goes, but the fact that, you know, Yoda being such a huge influence in the episodic, you know, series and and, and the animated series and, and all the all the lore and uh, the different novels and stuff like that, the fact that we never saw another one like him and we're just being introduced to him now, you know, it shows that they can just go anywhere with this. Um, so that makes it really exciting. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear baby Yoda's first words either, because I want to know, <laughs> does he follow the same speech pattern? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yoda, Yoda. All the memes out on the internet seem to imply that he's going to have the same backwards talk as Yoda. There you go. Cool. Any other final comments before we wrap up this episode? Well, the only only thing I would say is that whoever Baby Yoda is in the show, 
he's the greatest toy ever made. So, and <laughs> they, they knew what they were doing with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, again, the fact that, you know, obviously there's going to be baby Yoda toys coming out, but usually how a lot of things leak in star Wars is, is when toy designs come out. Cause there's no, for some reason, toy companies have like the worst, you know, way, way of securing that information. It always comes out because, you know, marketing has to create the ads for them and everything. So the mm-hmm. fact that it didn't come out, um, it, it's obviously Disney is able to do this. They're like, OK, we'll miss out on all the money we could make <laughs> on releasing these toys, you know, for right. Well, right now, know, for, it's, it's probably not going to be ready yeah. for the holidays, I'm guessing. So they're they're missing out on that money so they could save that reveal. So I, I, good on them for yeah. doing that. They'll still sell tons oh, of baby Yoda. Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. I don't feel sorry for them. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that they they humble themselves, you know, that much to, to to keep it a surprise. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of the first two episodes of The Mandalorian? Uh, be sure to email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page and let us know. You can email us any feedback at starwars at sqpn.com and you can find us on Facebook uh, by going to facebook.com slash starquestmedia and you can also find us on Twitter at sqpn. We'd like to take a moment and thank, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars including Michael F., Jonathan R., Bob M., Joe B., and Sean M., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or also on the SQPN YouTube channel. And also to find any previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars, please visit us at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And so we'll be back next week when we, are, when we will be discussing the third episode of The Mandalorian. And so until then, Mike Creevy, thanks for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Wars. My pleasure. Andrew Hermes, thank you as well for joining us. I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Sanjurjo. Thanks as well for being with us. May the force be with you all. And with, and your, with spirit. your spirit. And with your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and Angela Cialana, thank you as well for joining us. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure to be here. And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.